Welcome to the Men and Hoodies podcast, where we take you on an excursion through everything in the sports world. Trending news, hot conversations, heated debates, and unlike shows such as First Take and Undisputed, things that you, the listeners, actually want to hear. Let's now go to your hosts, the man that the water shows, Brent Lyons, the OG, Roman Cleary, hey, that's me, and of course, the always jubilant, Jake Stoop. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to episode 22 of the Men and Hoodies podcast. I'm your host, Jake Stoop, alongside Roman Cleary and Brent Lyons. A quick update before we get into the episode today. If you would like some merch, if you want some Men and Hoodies hoodies, leave a comment on the podcast, reach out to us via text or social media so we can go ahead and order some. This is something that we wanted to expand um, our brand with, so if you want one, let us know so we can get that for you. But let's open up with the first question of the day. If you could go back, Roman, you start first. If you could go back and change one moment in sports history, what would it be? Steelers, Patriots, Week 15, 2017. Ben Roethlisberger throws a game-winning touchdown pass to Jesse James that would have likely secured the number one seed in the AFC for the Steelers. But the refs make the dumbest call ever overturn it they say that he didn't survive the ground or some crap like that either way and ended up costing the Steelers the one seed a chance to finally get revenge on the Patriots and Pittsburgh went on to lose to the three seed the Jaguars in the divisional round so perhaps if that call went a different way perhaps that 2017 season could have really changed for the Steelers and you know they could have maybe gone all the way if certain circumstances were different so Definitely just go back, change the call, make it stand. Jesse James touchdown. Steelers beat the Patriots 27-24 or whatever the score was before the BS happened. Yeah, just that that game maddens me to this day. So I definitely would have to go back and change that if I could change anything about sports. Um, Mine is – Definitely going to have to be uh, the Kyrie Irving shot in the finals against the Warriors. Um, I don't want to go into too many details because that will just bring back terrible memories. But if he doesn't make that shot, the Warriors are uh, are pretty much four-time back-to-back-to-back-to-back champions and probably end up five-time because of all the things that could have changed through that. So I would definitely say that taking away Kyrie Irving's stupid shot from that finals <laughs> game is definitely my number one. I can tell y'all just aren't experiencing any PTSD from that. I'm so sorry. Jake? Uh, well, well, we know what yours is. <laughs> mine is probably the worst, and I mean the worst blowout win, not blowout win, comeback win in the history of sports. Um, the Falcons were winning 28-3 to in the Super Bowl against Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. And uh, what do you know? We go into the halftime locker room celebrating, right? Because, you know, we're, we're up 25 points on uh, the GOAT, the greatest of all time. We've got it wrapped up. No one's ever come back from, you know, a deficit like that in Super Bowl history. So we've got nothing to worry about. And then, uh, and then they did. <laughs> the Patriots came back and won the Super Bowl that year. Um, it, was, it was a very hard time for me as a Falcons fan. It was one of the only times where we had made it that far. And I mean, a good Devontae Freeman, a good Matt Ryan, good Julio Jones. We had it all working for us, and uh, and then we blew it. And then ever since, we've struggled to be a good team at all. 
So, uh, yeah, that, that sucked. I think that's, quick, you know, a really good answer for sure. Quick, quick question though, because me and me and Roman both gave uh, specific plays or specific moments in which we would want change. Like Roman had a call. I had a shot. What, uh, what would you like to change specifically from that game? Because it seems like it was more of a complete breakdown, not just one certain thing that kind of swinged it one way. It would definitely be Julian Edelman's catch. I mean, it made no sense how he caught that. I'm, I, I'm right about that, right? The finger catch, that was in the, that was in the Super Bowl, and it was ridiculous. And I think it, was, it may have been a third or fourth down as well. So a very crucial play in the game where they gained about 30 yards, and uh, that was the biggest one that hurt us. But obviously the run-in touchdown at the end was just the, you know, it was the icing on the cake, and it was just proof that we had actually blew that lead. So it it was awful. It was an awful night for sure. That's that's fair. Okay. So yeah, that would be it. Uh, but I really want to move on from this because I really hate this conversation. <laughs> uh, but let's move on to the NBA. Another conversation that might be really hard for uh, someone in this podcast. Draymond Green uh, last week was in a uh, a practice, a private practice with the Warriors, and obviously. Jordan Poole and him got into it. You already know about the news. Jordan Poole said something. Draymond thought about it, went back and just laid him out, threw a punch in the middle of practice, and someone recorded it and posted it everywhere. So now every single person in the sports world knows about what happened. Roman, I just want to ask you first about this situation. What do you, what are your first thoughts? And even past that, Draymond went to apologize. Do you think his apology matters in the grand scheme of things? Well, first off, my first initial reaction just has to be, wow, what just happened? I mean, especially after you saw the video. I mean, Draymond Green knocked the days out of Jordan Poole. That was a legit sucker punch that you see in, like, boxing or whatever. (laughs) So my first, you know, instant takeaway was better not get into a fight with Draymond Green because you are going to lose. Um But um, I think one thing that we just have to, you know, mention about this is that there's probably this type – I mean, there's all sorts of stuff similar to this that goes around. I mean, not just the NBA, but, you know, the NFL, you know, and other professional sports leagues. I mean, these are passionate players that are very passionate about what they do. And, you know, tempers are going to flare sometimes as a result. But I think Draymond's case in particular was just uncalled for. Jordan Poole did little to provoke him. I know Poole did push Draymond off of him, but Draymond got all up in his face. Draymond was the one that started that whole confrontation. So I don't have much comment on the whole thing as as a whole. I just feel like the situation is just really, really unfortunate. I do commend Draymond for apologizing. I don't think this incident truly shows the type of person or teammate that Draymond is. But it does show that he is a player who, um, you know, lets his emotions get the best of him. We've seen that before, and we definitely saw that here uh, with Jordan Poole. So just a bad, you know, PR thing overall. I think that's probably what this is going to amount to, you know, as the months and years go on. This won't be very memorable other than just the video clip itself because it was wild. But – actual ramifications of this for the Warriors and Draymond Green will be very little. Wow. Brent, what you got? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, it's it's stupid. 
I mean, I think when Draymond says all this stuff about nobody believing in them, they didn't think that this team could do it. Well, we're going to be back again. And then we're not even – the season hasn't even started yet and we're already fighting each other. Uh, I don't think that looks great. I think it shows a little bit of disunity and weakness and the champions, and that's not going to bode well. And it's definitely going to come back to bite them later in the season if they don't figure it out. Somebody's going to say something, and that's probably going to be the end of it, and something's going to happen. But overall, um, I think that just Draymond is so vocal um, in the NBA and about everything, whether it be through his podcast, social media, whatever he does, that it could have been it could have been anybody else but Draymond Green. And with the exception of maybe LeBron or someone like this, like hitting sucker punching anybody like Draymond did. And it probably wouldn't have exploded. Like, like Roman said, like I'm sure there are countless times at practice where people get into it fight with their own teammates. Like that, like this is not something new. This is not something that is, is far from what I would come to expect from a practice. Like, like he said, they're very passionate players. and They're very passionate about what they do. So I, I would expect that to kind of, happen every once in a while Jordan Poole did build up the situation I feel like he was being a little cocky some of the things he was saying to to Draymond probably weren't the best um but at the end of the day I think that Draymond just plays too much of a role in the social side of the league and kind of the things that go on behind the scenes to be doing something like that and it not become a big deal and then he goes one step further after that and then takes a quote-unquote break from the team he stepped away from the team for a little bit I think he's actually still um, away from the team at yeah. this time Comes but back just tomorrow. yeah but that just kind of like escalates it I feel like even like some people would think oh well no he's just clearing his mind things like that well yeah but he's still like it was that bad that he had he felt like he needed to take a break from the team that or he's just trying to do his little Dennis Rodman thing and be a little diva like Draymond Green has been in the past, which could also be the case because I've seen multiple times, and I'm sure lots of people have. He tries to he tries to emulate other people and Dennis Rodman, especially as someone that he gets kind of put into that box with. And I feel like that was just one of those moments where, yeah, sure, he apologized, um, but as a leader and as a veteran in the league, and as someone who prides himself on being a cornerstone of a of an organization and a team, mm-hmm. yeah. um, I feel like. Uh, an apology in the press conference doesn't doesn't hold as much weight when all these apology is all these things, but yet one of these young guys that you are mentoring and trying to help teach, um, and one of the, and also uh, Draymond Green and Jordan free agents this coming off season, and um, as far as re-signing both of them, it does not look good for the Warriors if you're having these two guys fighting each other especially in Jordan Poole, who's probably one of the features of your just throwing that out there. But it doesn't, like, as a cornerstone of the team, as a cornerstone is the league, of the league, um, and some assets, I think that it's not for him and trying to just throw it in. I feel like it was kind of a thrown-out apology because, of course, he was going to do it. He has to. But I feel like there, more should be done on his part than what he has done, considering he calls himself all these things, and the league has acknowledged him as someone – of that stature, so I feel like it should it should go a step further from him. As far as punishment goes, I don't think anything needs to really be done about it. Um, I, again, I, I agree with Roman. I think this stuff happens all the time. I think that just it it was just a stupid example, and it getting leaked just made it all the more worse. But as far as punishment goes, I don't think that anything is deserved there. I really just think that the Warriors need to figure out whatever 
crap is going on within their organization before the season starts. Well, yeah. there's no real scenario anyway where both Draymond Green and Jordan Poole are going to be back on the Warriors next season. It's just not going to happen because Draymond's going to ask I don't want too to talk much about money. That. And Jordan Poole's market <laughs> is going to be sky high. Yep. Almost every team in the league is going to, pro- going to be trying to be signing him for only God knows how much money. So I'm the Warriors are already going to have this. to make a choice anyway. So if anything, this may have made that choice a bit easier for him. Yeah, he may have to not want that max that he was wanting if he wants a chance to come back. So quick quick follow-up question for whichever one of y'all wants to answer this, just really quick. Or we've talked about, and I've read in a lot of you know articles that have been out so far, people are using the Michael Jordan and Steve Kerr incident as sort of an example to look to. How do you think that this is different or differentiates itself from that situation? Because I've heard a lot of people say it's fine, don't worry about it. This is just what happened to Steve Kerr. But why Why is this different in that case? Well, because there was real respect there, I think, from Michael Jordan and Steve Kerr. I mean, that, it, that what happened between them wasn't no, like, petty, trash-talking, whatever. That was just what came out of the natural competitiveness of both of them. And it made them better teammates, you know, for the better of it. And plus, like, Steve Kerr stepping up to a guy like Michael Jordan actually ended up earning Kerr some respect from Jordan at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, Jordan Poole and Draymond Green, I mean, they're both already like star level players. There's no real respect to be earned there that isn't already there. I think it was just more of a controversial like sideshow when it comes to Jordan Poole and Draymond Green as opposed to what happened between Michael Jordan and Steve Kerr. I really don't think the two situations are all that comparable. Yeah, and uh, I think something else is that, like, if you watch the video, if you watch the videos of both situations, the Draymond Green and Jordan Poole one, they're both standing on the sidelines. Like, there's a practice going on, and Jordan Poole and Draymond are just stand Like, they're both on opposite sidelines drawing at each other. When Steve Kerr and Michael Jordan had this thing, it was, like, it, they were running, like, they were running fives at practice, and, like, this was, a, like, they were running drills. This was a – this was a like in the moment type of respect thing. Jordan Poole and Dra- like Roman said, Jordan, Jordan Poole and Draymond Green were just literally standing there, like just taking shots at each other for no like for no reason. They like they could have been doing something else. Like they weren't even in the play. They weren't even in the heat of the moment. They were literally standing on the sideline. Like yeah. Draymond Green looked like he hadn't been practicing the entire time, and he just <laughs> walked over there and just laid one out on Jordan Poole. Like it wasn't, and like Roman said, there was no respect to be earned there. Uh, like Steve Kerr earned a lot of respect from MJ doing that. Um, Jordan Poole uh, and Draymond Green. Uh, I don't see any less respect there, but there was none to be gained considering Draymond Green was kind of the the uh, littler man in the situation by going and taking a swing on Jordan Poole. But I don't, I don't think the two are comparable either. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and if there's, you know. Any respect to be gained, Jordan Poole thought so. Went out and dropped 25 points the next night after getting a concussion, which is pretty wild. But from my point of view on it, this situation was one of many that all led up to this moment. Draymond has said on his podcast in the past that Poole has always been someone to talk. So let's say say he's telling the truth and that we can take it at face value. Obviously, Poole had said something to Draymond in the situation. He goes and walks away, ponders it comes back and then immediately gets in his face. You, I mean, you can even see the coach following Draymond because he knows something about to happen. 
And to me, by no means does Green, as a leader of this team, ever need to return a wrong. Let's say Jordan Poole said something wrong. Let's, that you should not return a wrong with something even worse. That doesn't heal anything. So I'm very disappointed in Draymond because, as I said, he's supposed to be the leader, the glue that keeps everybody together, and the selfless guy in the locker room. You're choosing to place all of that, all of this thing, all these things that you've gained over the course of your career, all puts all of that in jeopardy because of this situation. This doesn't humble anybody. All this does is make you look like worse of a guy than people already thought you were, especially if you're considering what you've done in the past. To me, you've got to prove something to someone by beating them on the basketball court and humble them by your play on the court rather than by social media or fights in in the basketball court. That doesn't help anything to me, and it doesn't accomplish anything. So this is not how you handle the situation at all. And like y'all have mentioned, the contract extension disputes they were already in question because Draymond had not signed an extension. Typically, people, if they are 100% surefire going to return to an organization, have already signed an extension well before the season starts of their extension year. So Draymond, if his future was assured with them, would have already been done. All this does is hurt it even worse because you've got guys like Wiseman and Poole coming up um, and people like that that deserve the money more than he does at this point. And this this lack of team chemistry that he is showing is really going to hurt them. Obviously, this trust is going to have to be gained. Um, but as far as his apology went, he owned it. He said he was wrong. He apologized to all of his teammates. But the most important thing that he apologized for was first, he apologized to the families. I think that was a big statement because he knows and he's accepting how this decision he made affects not just the players and the team, but it affects who they're related to. Um, something that Russell Westbrook talked a lot about is how when people got mad at him over the or over the season because of his bad shooting, like his kids would go to school and get made fun of for it. And that is just not something that is OK. So obviously, I think that Draymond's doing that was really good. And it was honestly, even though I don't really like Draymond as a person, it showed a lot. I, you know, had a lot of respect for him for that decision. Um, but as far mm. as it goes, he's got a lot to decide. Him and the organization have a lot to decide. So that, that's going to be tough for them this offseason. Um, he could other, break your other knee. What? He could break your other knee. Who? Draymond. Oh, I know that. <laughs> Don't talk trash on my boy. Hey, I just I said that I respected him for apologizing to the families. I Dr- mean, if Draymond you can say could, anything good about the situation, that's got to be it. Draymond could break all three of our bodies at once if he wanted to. <laughs> yeah, but he wouldn't break mine because I love him. Maybe so. I like him as a player, but not as a person for the things he's done. But all right, let's move on to college football. We've got a it was a packed slate this past week, so I'm ready to talk about this. We have a lot of undefeated teams right now. There are a lot of teams that you could look at and say they have a chance at the college football playoff. But specifically to start out, we're going to look at the top 10. Roman, you start out. Who is the team with least likely of a chance to make the playoff that is undefeated at the moment? Uh, if we're going to stick with the top 10, then it definitely has got to be Tennessee. As of now, they have been red hot to start the year. That's undoubtable. A road win over Pitt and a home victory over Florida in particular are very impressive. And then they follow that up with a massive blowout victory in Death Valley over LSU. Tennessee looks to be legit for like the first time ever this year. Good for y'all. Um, unfortunately, you got a game against Alabama on Saturday afternoon. It's the big college game day you know, slate, perhaps the biggest matchup of the year in college football so far. But 
you're probably not going to beat Alabama. It's going to be very tough. They got a fantastic quarterback, maybe the best quarterback in college football, and a fantastic team all around. So that's probably that's a like that's a likely loss for Tennessee. Then after that, they face Kentucky. I think Kentucky's been sliding a little bit as of late, and I think they're going to find their way back to where they need to be at this at some point. So I think Kentucky's got a good chance to beat Tennessee. And then Tennessee's got to go on the road to Georgia the very next week. Those are three probable losses for Tennessee. So they're probably the team right now with the least, you know, likely shot to make the college football playoff at this point that is currently inside of the top 10. And the reason I didn't say Ole Miss is that Ole Miss already has a victory over a team like Kentucky. Both of those schools inside of the SEC, their chances of making the playoff are very minimal. But I think Tennessee probably is like the more unlucky of the two right now because they still have more tough opponents ahead on the schedule. Uh, I'll go next. All right. I'll go next with you this one. I think that, Roman, I, I hate Tennessee. All right, let's just establish that. I would love to agree with you right now, but when we're looking at schedule and coming up schedule, mm-hmm. Ole Miss 100% has the harder schedule. And I'll just talk about them real quick. This team is not supposed to be here. This is definitely my candidate for top 10 team, like least likely chance to make the playoff. Almost all of their wins have come against bad opponents other than Kentucky. They even allowed Vanderbilt to make it a game until late in the third quarter. So I would not be surprised if this team ends up being an eight or nine win team. And then, like I said earlier, you've got to look at this schedule coming up. They've got to go to LSU, to Texas A&M, and they play Alabama and Arkansas. That is not that is not favorable for a team that wants to have an outside shot. And when you look at it, comparing it to Tennessee, I think Tennessee has – I hate to say it, but I think they've proven more throughout what they've done so far. They beat Florida at home. They went to LSU in a game I honestly thought LSU could win. And, I mean, from the start, from the get-go, a fumbled kick return that they scored on immediately. I mean, it, was, it wasn't even a chance. So I hate to say it, but I think the Tennessee Vols have a legit shot to challenge the Crimson Tide this week. I don't think they'll come out on top, but I do think they have a chance. But when you're looking at schedules, that's what really got me, Roman. I really think that Ole Miss – has the tougher schedule and that they have proven less so far. So I've got to go the Rebels for this one. Man, I can I can totally understand that. But these first three games, these next three that they have coming up, are all against teams that have not proven very very good so far. I mean, Auburn, they're not very good. LSU clearly is not that good. I mean, 40 to 13, I mean, losing like that at home to anybody, including Tennessee, that's just embarrassing. That shows that you're not that good, honestly. You're just not. And Texas a and is very disappointing to start the season, even though they did give Alabama a pretty good challenge on Saturday. Yep. Could have won the game on the last play. Now, after that, Ole Miss has Alabama. Probably going to be a loss there. Arkansas. Arkansas is really interesting. They've proven to be really good at times and really bad at times. It's going to be, you know, real dependent on what kind of team Arcan- that Arkansas is showing up with that day. You know, and of course, the Egg Bowl with Mississippi State may be the highest stakes Egg Bowl that we've seen in a long time by the time we get there. But Ole Miss and Mississippi State are both going to have to, you know, maintain their performances and their records if we really want to get that high level of a matchup in the Egg Bowl. Mississippi State, by the way, has been a very, very good underrated team in the SEC so far that I don't think they're getting enough credit yet. I just don't. Yeah. I mean, 40 to 17 victory over Arkansas at home. That's a phenomenal and they, win. And they killed very impressive. A&M, too. Yeah. So, what you got, Brett? All right, so here's my thing. I'm going to say a couple of different things about three teams, including my own. 
So I don't want you to think that I'm just being yeah. biased here. You're and welcome that we didn't reason- pick Penn State. <laughs> well, okay, but here's the thing. You can't – You, in all fairness, you can't pick Penn State, you can't pick Ohio State, and you can't pick Michigan. Yep. Now, I'm going to say Michigan and Penn State along with <laughs> Ole Miss. And the thing that you got – the thing that I feel like we're missing on is the fact that you, you can play – bad teams and win bad games and for like have a easier schedule but if there's that one game in there that falls mid to late november that you lose there's no you can't come back from that like you can be undefeated up until november 12th and let's say you you play a really good team but the rest of them are garbage you can be 10 and 0 coming into that game but you lose that game you can't make up for that there's not time i trust me when i say i know this because penn state has gone time and time again with being ranked so high in the poll. And then they lose to Ohio State mid to late November, and they're a one-loss team, but there is nothing they can do about it to get back in. So mm-hmm. with a team like Michigan, they play Penn State this week. If they lose this game, and same with Penn State, whoever loses this game still has a chance to make up for it, not only with easy teams that they may play, like Michigan will go from playing Penn State if they lose to playing Michigan State and Rutgers, then Nebraska, before they finish their season with Illinois and Ohio State. So they have a chance to make up for what they lost before they have a chance to prove that they still should have a shot. With Penn State, it's kind of the same thing. They will play Michigan this week, and whether they win or lose, the next week after that, well, the next three weeks for them are a little different because they play Michigan, then they play Minnesota and Ohio State. So, like, like, the time is now for Penn State, which is a little different than it has been in the past. But as far as it goes, like at the way that this works, and you, I feel like some people don't have to experience this, but when it comes to Penn State football, I'm pretty, I'm pretty seasoned on what it looks like to be ranked high and then uh, <laughs> have three games left in the season and have nothing you can do about it, even Sorry. if you finish 12-1. and one. It's all right. But with a team like Ole Miss, you, I can see them winning, and this is the team that I'm overall going to pick. They, right now, are 6-0, and and they can beat Auburn, they can beat LSU, and they can beat Texas A&M. That puts them at 9-0. and Then they go and play Alabama and lose. Now you're at 9-1 and with two games left in the season. What are you going to do? Because no one is going to consider you after you lose. With two games left in the season, it's the college football playoff poll that decides. And they do not – unless your name is – unless you are Alabama or Georgia or yep. maybe Ohio State – if you lose one game at the end of the season, nobody could care, could give two cares about you anymore. You have like, you have to lose your game. Well, you don't want to lose a game, but if you're going to lose a game, the time to lose it is now. You don't want to like once the college football playoff poll starts coming out, you maybe have one week where you can afford a loss before it, like before it's done. After that, if you lose a game, there's there's no coming back from that. I speak from experience, so I can <laughs> say it. Especially in the SEC West. Like, if Ole Miss loses, even out, even like if they lose to Alabama, even if Alabama were to lose to the Volunteers, Alabama would still have the tiebreaker over them. I mean, they, they can't afford to lose any down the stretch here if they want to have a shot at the SEC championship. Yeah. And I'm, I had to say, I had to say Penn State because we're playing Michigan this week, and I understand it's Michigan hate week and all that, but. I refuse to talk about Michigan being bad or Michigan having a least chance because then what's going to happen is Michigan is going to go and blow Penn State out by 40. I can't afford for that to happen. So when I talk about Michigan, I'm talking about Penn State in the same sentence. I'm really not going to say Ohio State here, even though I could, because the same thing applies to them as far as scheduling goes. Like If you play a good team at the end of the year, 
Like that that's your breaking point. Like Ole Miss's breaking point for me is they could be nine and zero going into playing Alabama. They lose to Alabama. It doesn't matter if you're nine and zero. You're done. They'll finish as the 14th best team in the country. So like that that's where I'm coming from when it when it comes to this. So do y'all think you will have to be undefeated to make the playoff this year? Because there are like 12 no. undefeated teams at this point. So what do you think? No. James Madison maybe, but nobody else. <laughs> also, um, I just have to bring this up. How was Ohio State not the t- not the top team yet? How are they not the number one team? Because they've been the far SEC. more consistent than Alabama or Georgia has, and they're still my pick to win the national title. I just don't understand why Ohio State hasn't gotten that nod for number one yet. I just need to bring that up. The SEC. Well, I hate to tell you, if Alabama goes and beats Tennessee, they won't even get close. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I can respect that. I really can, but I think Tennessee's playing above their ability to start the year. Either way, it's a win against a top six opponent. So I think if there was any time for them to make to get the number one spot, if Alabama proves to be the way that they are right now, then they will they won't have a chance. Um, and to and to go back to your question on do you have to go undefeated? I don't think so because uh, at the end of the day. One of like one of these SEC teams is going to lose, whether it be Alabama or Georgia, because if they end up coming on a collision course and meet in the SEC championship game, like it's going to happen. One of them has to lose, and if they're undefeated going into that, then the one that loses is probably still going to make it, unless they stumble somewhere else that we're not expecting right now. So that so like when it comes to that, no, I don't think you do. And also, I don't think I really don't know any teams undefeated, with the exception of James Madison potentially. Like and I, I say that genuinely, mostly because they've been playing well, and as long as I'm not jinxing them now, like their schedule, they obviously don't play any like incredible team, like incredible incredible teams left. So like the chances of them going undefeated and being the only undefeated team, I think, are actually pretty strong. And hats off to them because they've only played five FBS games and they're already one game away from being bowl eligible in their first season in FBS D1. So that's pretty cool. But like. I think that there's a lot of like good teams that are just kind of sitting around the mid pack right now of all these conferences that as we get to week nine, 10 and 11 are going to sneak up on a couple of these good teams and probably beat them, which is why I don't think that anybody, I, I think that one team will be undefeated probably when we get to the college football playoff. Yeah. And that, that'll lead us into our next question, Roman, who is the hottest group of five team that you could see making the cotton bowl? Man, this is, a, this is a tough question right here because a lot of these group of five teams, they are just on fire right now. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to go with a team that's actually unranked at the moment. I'm going to go with Tulane. I think they've got wow. this year. Thank you. I didn't want to say them. I mean, how in they the world the Southern Miss. is Tulane not ranked? They're good. How in the world? I mean, Kansas – Kansas State is 17th in the country. Guess who has a victory over Kansas State? Tulane. Tulane also has a really good road victory over Houston. I mean, Tulane has just been, in my opinion, the best team in the American so far. Cincinnati is going to be a tough, tough, you know, stepping stone for them. But if Tulane can get past them, I don't, I don't see any reason for them not to get, you know, to that Cotton Bowl or whatever group of five bowl ends up being there for the taking. I mean, James Madison is obviously the popular pick right now because they just got ranked. But I think Tulane is getting very, very, you know, disrespected right now. How they're not at least in the top 25 right now is just a travesty, in my opinion. 
I agree. Um, I think that Tulane should be ranked as well. And I was hoping that you would say them so I didn't have to spend my time talking about them because I was kind of – because I'm really high on the group of five right now as far as group of five teams go because I think lots of teams are doing better than they're supposed to. I feel like everybody thought this wasn't going to be a great year for group of five. And lots of the normal good group of five teams have definitely taken a step down. But I feel like these new guys that are actually kind of taking a step up um, have made it even more fun. Um, but overall, I think it's either James Madison or Tulane. Both of them are playing great. Uh, James Madison obviously has the easier schedule. And I'm not even sure if James Madison goes undefeated, if they're even eligible to play in a bowl game yet. I don't know if they've made their complete transition yet or not. I'd have to look up and see how that works. But I definitely think that James Madison and Tulane both are playing out of their mind. And I'm not going to sleep on Coastal Carolina either. Yeah. But I think that I think that those two teams, Tulane definitely being disrespected a little bit, but I think that those two teams are kind of surprising me so far, and I would I would love to see Tulane or James Madison in the Cotton Bowl. I think that'd be so cool. Plus, Tulane also has a dominant victory over East Carolina, and East Carolina was a team that a lot of people were high on, you know, early in the season. I'm so high on them. I mean, I think Tulane has just been more impressive than James Madison in terms of resume and victories thus far even though you still have For to give sure. James Madison a lot of credit here. I mean, getting the 25th in the country, this is their first season in Division One. Hats off to James Madison, but I think Tulane's resume is just a bit stronger right now. Well, their their resume is definitely stronger, but I, I think that it comes back to the fact that James, like how you're doing this with little to no recruiting pretty much. Who's like, especially, in, if you're, okay, so if James Madison is in a transition year, it means that they're not eligible to compete in any postseason games, which means that they would have to forego a bowl game that they would make because they are not in their complete transition. A complete transition takes four years. So if James Madison is transitioning to the D1 FBS, it means that they are not allowed to play in their bowl game. If they're not, but if they're not, it basically means that they're pretty much recruiting wise are in a very big disadvantage because who's going to want to come to the team right now who as freshmen, they wouldn't even be able to play in a bowl game for four years. Like that is insane. So they're pretty much doing this with what they had to work with. And in their first five games, they beat some pretty impressive teams considering who those teams have beat, like beating Appalachian State 32-28 to at Appalachian State after the week after they beat Texas A&M. That's wild. Like that's crazy. And the, like, like doing this all with little to no recruiting, little to no recruiting money, I'm sure. And like with little to no draw from the org, like from a standpoint of people wanting to come there, it's just crazy. Man, I'm, yeah, I'm I mean, the group of five. Y'all's, I'm sorry to ruin y'all's cute moment here, uh, but this answer is absolutely Cincinnati. When you compare no. Tulane and Cincinnati, Tulane has lost to Southern Miss, and Cincinnati went on the road and made it a game against Arkansas, an SEC opponent. And I was one that was higher on Houston at the beginning of the year, but I've got to go Cincinnati here. Five and one, realistically, they have the best chance. But they still have UCF, SMU, and Tulane on the schedule. And I think this is going to be a very cool moment. If you remember in 2019, Memphis and Cincinnati played the last week of the regular season and then again in the AAC championship. Again, I'm I'm not, like, down on Tulane. Like, I think they're good. I, I think they'll beat Memphis when they go there. Like, by all means, yes. I think it could possibly be – Tulane and Cincinnati in the American Championship. But Tulane's got to go to Cincinnati at the end of the regular season, which means that when they lose that game, they're going to have to go right back. And if the situation were to be they have to split 
then neither of them will make the Cotton Bowl. I'm sorry to say it, but a two-loss group of five team is not going to make it, which will fall to Coastal Carolina or James Madison, which also they play on the last week of the regular season. So we really have no idea what's going to happen here. It's going to be fantastic to finish. But if Tulane is as good as we think they are, then they're going to probably split with Cincinnati. And I hate to say it, but neither American team is going to make it if that's the choice, if that's the situation. Um, so I really think overall, if Cincinnati splits with Tulane, it's going to fall to Coastal Carolina. I think that they will and can beat James Madison. Although, like, James Madison beat Middle Tennessee, who beat Miami. As you said, they beat App State, who beat Texas A&M. They beat Arkansas State, who made it a game against Memphis. And Memphis is an American team, and James Madison is not. They're a Sunbelt team. So I could, I could absolutely see it be Coastal Carolina, but I hate to say it, I don't think the team that's going to come out of the group of five is going to be that strong, and I wish that was different. I know y'all are high on a lot of teams in the American right now um, and the group of five, but I just don't think it's going to happen. I think it'll end up being a one-loss team unless it's Coastal Carolina who goes undefeated. That's just my opinion because, like, James Madison still has to go to Louisville and win, and I'm sorry, that's, that's not going to be a W for him. Well, we we, we don't know. Louisville ain't that good though. I mean, James they got, Madison is not. They got beating blown out Louisville. like Syracuse. They're not beating Louisville. Yes, they are. I mean, if, if they're the yes, if they're they the 25th team in the country, then they got a chance. I don't think they're beating Louisville. But Louisville isn't good. Like in the in the ACC, Louisville already beat UCF on the road, one of the top teams in the American, and they already beat Virginia. Like it's. Like James UF, Madison, UCF like, is not one of the top you, teams in the American. I mean, oh, yeah, Lu- Louisville could certainly beat James Madison, no. but I don't think it's a given. I don't. I don't think a one-loss James Madison team stands a chance. I think it's it's probably going to fall to Coastal Carolina. But if we're talking one-loss teams, it's definitely going to be Cincinnati. Yeah, I feel you there. Yeah, I mean, like I'm I'm all for James Madison being good, but if you're looking at it realistically. It's really hard not to say that Cincinnati has the best chance. Yeah. So, I don't know. I hate it. I hate it. But I think they have a better chance than even an undefeated Coastal Carolina. But, all right. Almost lost to South Florida, so. Yeah, I know. Wait, who did? Cincinnati. Oh, they did? Okay. 28-24 at Cincinnati. Yeah. Louisville beat South Florida 41-3. So, we'll see what happens there. Um, but let's look forward to next week. We got week seven. Roman, what is your most exciting game that you're looking forward to? Well, I'll let Brent talk about Penn State and Michigan, even though that <laughs> one is very, very exciting. And Alabama and Tennessee, I mean, everyone's talking about that already. So I'm going to pivot over to Mississippi State and Kentucky because wow. I think this is just a really interesting matchup. Mississippi State has played just about as well as you can imagine them. I mean, so far this year, Will Rogers has been one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC. I mean, just a record-breaking player from Mississippi State. I mean, we thought that Memphis getting absolutely thrashed by them was really bad. And it still was, you know, the way that it happened. But Mississippi State has proven to be a much better team than even I anticipated. Jake, you actually thought that Mississippi State was worse heading into this season, but it's actually (laughs) turned out that they're much better. And they're traveling to a Kentucky team that is really trying to find its footing right now. They were red hot to start the season, getting a win at Florida in the swamp. Phenomenal win for them, but they've been sliding ever since. 
lost to South Carolina last week, lost to Ole Miss, I believe, the week before that. I mean, Will Levis, I mean, they still got him. So they still have plenty of opportunity to bounce back and make this at least a salvageable season in some ways, still get to a high-level bowl game, maybe still be the second field to Georgia in the SEC East. And if Mississippi State is able to win this game, I think that would really be, you know, the it game for them that shows that they have arrived. So Mississippi State and Kentucky, kind of an underrated matchup, kind of underrated, under the radar because of the other matchups that we have going around college football. As I said already, Alabama, Tennessee, Penn State, Michigan, USC and Utah are playing this weekend as well. It's going to be an exciting oh, wow. weekend of college football. But Mississippi State and Kentucky, I think, is a game that's going to be flying really under the radar because of that. But it's still going to be really fun to watch. I I just want to acknowledge the fact on how many like incredible. I think this is the best week so far for college football. Oklahoma um, State, TCU, NC State, Syracuse. I, I mean, I don't I don't know if there's really any debate on that, that this is the best week. I'm just like just going over some of the games like seven USC, twenty Utah, sixteen Mississippi State, twenty two Kentucky, uh, four Clemson takes on Florida eighteen. Uh, 15 NC State takes on 18 Syracuse, like Roman just mentioned, 8 Oklahoma State, 13 TCU, the Alabama-Tennessee 3-6 and six matchup. And um, Georgia's not been doing great, so Vanderbilt could end up being <laughs> a good game too. Uh, then 24 Illinois, who got ranked, is playing a, another really good Minnesota team. And then Kansas is playing Oklahoma and a chance to just make Kansas even oh. more America's team in Oklahoma and even worse Oklahoma. And then to cap it all off, Michigan State. Michigan plays Penn go. State this week. Uh, I mean, I could I could say all the things I want, but I mean, I feel like lots of people think that Penn State Michigan is still the best game going on this week, even if Alabama Tennessee are playing. Just because, like, consistently over the course of the past decade, Penn State Michigan has been the better, like, the game. And as far as like atmosphere goes like it's at it's at the big house like this this is like this is a big deal Penn State like th- everyone wants to see if Michigan is any good people want to see if Penn State's any good like this like this is a big game as far as the Big Ten goes this is like the this is well I mean it's same for the SEC this is probably the biggest game that each conference has put on in her conference so far this year so I think that it's a huge game but as far as atmosphere goes and as far as the just the Overall, how good the game and how big the potential is for this game, it could it could be huge, um, because Mi- Michigan Michigan could end up, I mean, in in theory, Michigan could end up being taken out of the race if they get beat bad by Penn State, just because of the teams that they played so far and haven't played great against. Uh, same goes for Penn State, but I feel like this game is just so huge, and obviously I'm a Penn State fan, so I'm gonna pick this game anyway. But overall, those those are two massive games. But I'm going to go with Penn State-Michigan just because of the atmosphere that comes with it. Penn State and Michigan fans are probably two top 15 fan bases in the country. So I I think that this just overall is an atmosphere and a game um, is going to be huge. And I knew that they were going to pick Tennessee-Alabama for game day just because they're hoping that Penn State-Ohio State can be game day in, uh, in three weeks. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure that that's the plan. So – Fingers crossed, Penn State can uh, can hold on to these this rough couple weeks to get to Ohio State undefeated. But this game is going to be incredible, and tickets are pretty cheap. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's hard to pick a game this week because every single one is going to be fantastic. I mean you can't hand pick one game and be like, oh that that doesn't show much implication. 
it, a lot of these games are going to be good. I got to go with the regional team, though. I got to go Tennessee and Alabama. It's game day. 102,000 are going to be in Neyland Stadium. It, it doesn't get better than this. Tennessee is looking like they're back. Bryce Young is going to be back. Both of these teams average 45 points a game. I mean, I think that's going to make it the upper hand when you're looking at the Penn State-Michigan game. I Honestly, I don't think we can handpick which one is going to be um, more in playoff implications. I think both of them hold a lot of weight. But I think scoring-wise and excitement-wise, I think based on that, you've got to go Alabama-Tennessee. It's going to be very high scoring. Tennessee with the quick offense. Alabama with, you know, an offense that didn't really show out against Texas A&M. So we'll, we'll see what happens here. But, I mean, y'all have already covered it. This week is massive for a lot of reasons, and this is just one of those games that's going to affect the college football playoff. All right. Before we move on to the NFL, just have three words to say. Fire Ryan Silverfield. (laughs) Uh, Hey, what what if we beat East Carolina, though? What would you say then? We're not going to beat East Carolina. I agree. We're not going to beat Tulane. Like. (laughs) We're probably not going to beat UCF. Memphis is just in such a terrible spot right now, man. Sorry. I mean, they have no Another... culture. They have terrible coaching. It Like, the program just needs to start over. Ryan Silverfield has destroyed everything that has made Memphis football great. And they got to do something about it. Laird Veach has to do something about it. Well, to be fair, uh... 60% of our starters are sophomores, so uh... – I imagine oh, yeah. they'll keep it around for an extra year. If 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 that happens, then Laird Veach needs to be removed, honestly. I don't know. He's done so much for Memphis, though. Like, he he's trying to put us on the map. I, I respect him for it. He may not have the best decision here, but either way, I think you got to rock with him one more year. But I'll probably no. be saying different. I'll probably be saying different if we finish, like, six and six. It's, I, I will definitely well, be saying get different. ready for it because that's probably what's going to happen. I agree. What were you going to say, Brent? I was going to say my my brother from another mother, uh, Oregon State, is playing Washington State this week. So that's another big game as well. Ah, that's probably a late kickoff, I'm assuming. It is another one of those games that I'll be staying up for, 9 p.m. Oh, boy. Yeah. All right. Let's oh, Air on. Force, we've UNLV. We've got Jeez, NFL talk. What were you going to say? I was going to say uh, Air Force plays UNLV at the late slate, too. I was just saying how good of a week this is. Oh, yeah. It's packed for sure. Definitely going to be glued to the TV as much as possible. Let's move on, though. We've got NFL action as well. First Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Roman, who is your most surprising team so far? I mean, there's a lot of teams around the league that are, you know, surprising, you know, the league in both good and bad ways. But at the end of the day, just going to have to go with the Atlanta Falcons here, honestly. Going to give a shout-out to Jake's Falcons. Thank you. Wow. I mean, they, they haven't been, you know, the winningest team so far, but I just admire the way that they've been able to compete. Aww. I mean, Marcus Mariota, Aww. not the greatest option in the world, but you know what? He's been serviceable. It's been okay. Drake London has shown some promise at times. The offense is lacking a little bit now with the injury to Cordero Patterson but they're still making it work. Unfortunately, because of the system that Arthur Smith is rolling with, rolling with right now, they have not been able to get the most out of Kyle Pitts, who was expected by many to have a fantastic season. I mean, Arthur Smith's offense is built so much around the play-action pass, and the design of the play-action pass is, of course, uh, to get the defense thinking that you're running. And what happens on running plays a lot of the time, the tight end stays back to block. Yep. 
So Kyle Pitts has been staying back the block on a lot of these play action passes and it's resulted, you know, in him not getting nearly as much production as all of us expected. But the Falcons took it to Tampa Bay. I'm not saying they would have won that game had the roughing the passer, you know, travesty not occurred. They did get robbed on that call, but I just don't know if I trust that Falcons offense to go win the game in that situation. But either way, Atlanta has just been very, very surprising. I thought they were going to be an absolute dumpster fire of a team. And don't get me wrong, I mean, the Falcons are not a great they're, – they're, they don't have much talent, so this can still fall apart at any time here. But right now, anyway, Bruh. the Falcons starting out, you know, a lot more solidly than I think anybody expected. So I am going to give them a little bit of a shout-out. You're not going to shout out Seattle because they have a not great QB, but they're still competing in every game. I mean, I don't know, good, man. Good job, they're, Brent. They, the Seahawks are not bad. Y'all, y'all can't stop anybody from scoring though. <laughs> eh, neither can you. So hey, I don't really care. Roman, I would Roman, I would agree with you about that. Uh, something I did not want to mention, but I feel like I should. The refs absolutely missed a pass interference call the play before that. I think no one's talking about that because partially no one's watching the Buccaneers Falcons except me. <laughs> they missed a really bad pass interference call. So honestly, that call was making up for it a little bit, even if it was atrocious. All right. I guess it's uh, I guess it's Brent's turn and I'm gonna say a team from each conference. Um one, the team that I was high on to go over five hundred that nobody believed in to start the year, but it looks like they're they're doing some tear in the AFC right now. New York Jets, three and two right now. I think yep. I had them either at ten and seven or nine and eight. Can't remember which one of the two it was, but right now, uh, they're still not. I mean, they're not playing incredible football, but they're they're they sure are playing football, which is what I said they would do this year. All I said was that they were going to play football this year, and they are playing. They have a lot of good, a lot of good young weapons, and. Uh, Zach Wilson is back and he's playing pretty well actually. So I'm excited for that. But then in the NFC side of things, besides the obvious Eagles who are the only undefeated team in the league right now, hats off to them. I'm going to say the New York giants. Um, Another team that is not necessarily playing uh, what it takes to actually win really at the end of the day, but they're winning still. Um, Their only loss came to a Cowboys team that I think they probably could have beaten. I think that, like they, if they can actually put the pieces together and like actually become a good team instead of just, I feel like they're kind of getting lucky. I mean, they're obviously a good, they're a good team. Like they have a lot of good pieces. Obviously, Saquon is incredible, and him coming back in the fourth quarter not only to help secure my fantasy victory, but the Giants' victory was just <laughs> magical. And I appreciate Saquon very much for all he does for me. Um, go Penn State! But I think that if they they have a couple good tests coming down. I think that playing the Ravens will be a good one for them, as well as the Jaguars, who haven't been playing bad either. Um, these next two weeks will be pretty telling for the Giants, if they, especially if they come out from here six and one. We'll be talking, or even five and two, we'll be talking about a completely different scenario for the Giants because now we're looking at playoff implications, kind of. I think that these, like, they're they're. Uh, division in the NFL right now has been extremely surprising. I like the the way that their division has been playing like Philadelphia, Dallas, New York and Wa- besides Washington, like the Giants, the Cowboys and the Eagles represent the best conference and the best division in the National Football League right now. And I don't know if that's very debatable, just the way that 
these teams have been playing. It was supposed to be the AFC West, but right now I think it's the NFC East. I just think that the like the the Giants overall have, and I think that they continue to win these games. They really don't have to look all that great. All about it, all that it is at the end of the day is can you make the playoffs? And they don't have to look great as long as they're winning games, especially against teams like the Seahawks and the Texans. Uh, they can make the playoffs. So if they do that, that's a good year to me. And right now it looks like the two New York teams that um, I put a lot of faith in are kind of showing out for me. I mean, in terms of records, the NFC East has been impressive. But when you actually look at the football field, the Philadelphia Eagles are way better yeah. than the Dallas Cowboys and the New York Giants. Oh, for sure. It's, it's outlandish sure. to say that that's the best division of football because the Eagles would wipe the floor with either of those teams. I think it's still the AFC West, personally. Yeah. The AFC West has kind of been a, a, a little slow, though, to get started. Yeah, that's true. Um, my most surprising is actually going to come from the NFC East. It's going to be For the sure. Cowboys. They beat the Rams and the Bengals with Cooper Rush at QB. I mean, like, did anybody expect that to happen when Dak went down? Absolutely not. They're holding their own, and their defense is holding up well, even when they haven't scored that many points. So I've been very impressed in what Dallas has been able to do. Um, we talked about how good this division can be. I still don't think they stand a chance against the Eagles. I think the Eagles are going to win the head-to-head matchups. I just do. Jalen Hurts is that guy. He is He's too good of a player in order for Cooper Rush or Dak Prescott to stand a chance against him. I think the only thing that we could see that could challenge is the defense of Dallas. Um, but overall, I mean, take credit where credit is due. Dallas has been showing that they are here to stay. So we'll see. I think the most interesting thing is going to be and y'all can comment on this as well. If Dak plays bad in his return game, what do you do as an organization? What do you do? Start Cooper you start Rush. him. You just... Dak is better than Cooper Rush, okay? Let's just say it how it is. I mean, it's fun to see a guy like Ooh. Cooper Rush break out, you know, make the headlines and all that. But Dak Prescott is a guy that you paid only God knows how much money to. You cannot afford to have him sitting on the bench. Same with Kenny Galladay. You can't. They're four and one. But this is Dak Prescott. He's a quarterback. He's a much more valuable position, you know? And the I mean, Cowboys' ceiling played, they is lost much higher than Dak Prescott. I think we all know that. I, I mean, I think Dak's better too, but if you look at the numbers, Dak played against the Buccaneers who have not been as good as they are supposed to be. They've still been they the best defense in the points. NFL. And they only scored three points. Like. Seattle has the best defense in the NFL. Let's get one thing straight. <laughs> I mean, the Falcons scored more on the Bucks than Dak did. Like, really? I don't know. I think it's it's up for question. I didn't think I would I, say that, but I think no, it's up for question. Not. It's not. It's just mind games the... from Jerry Jones. That's all that is. No, <laughs> I am I am a man of the people, and the people want Cooper Rush. And if the, Coop, if the people want Cooper Rush, we'll give them Cooper Rush. Jerry Jones needs anything going for him at this point, so we'll see. But, hey, the Dallas Cowboys and the Eagles play this week on Sunday Night Football, so we'll get to see that matchup. But, Roman, what's been your most underwhelming team so far? Um, it has to be the Denver Broncos. They right. are it's good. an absolute joke of a team. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Jake, I know that you like guys like Russell Wilson because of how outspoken they are about their faith and all that. But <laughs> Russell Wilson <laughs> But like no. Russell Wilson is incapable of leading a football team. 
Russell Wilson, as much as I respect him for those things too, he has to be the cringiest, corniest player I think I've ever seen. I don't think it's a coincidence that basically all those dudes from the Legion of Boom hate his guts. I don't think it's a coincidence that the Seahawks seem to be functioning much better without him. Because Russell Wilson is not a leader. He, he just isn't. What? And neither is Nathaniel Hackett. Nathaniel Hackett, when he was, you know, you know, training the Broncos, you know, in training camp, when the Broncos were in training camp, you know how things go in training camp. You get in the fight sometimes, right? Every time there would be a, a scuffle between players in training camp, guess what Nathaniel Hackett would do? He would have them hug it out in front of the entire team. Football players do not want to do that stuff, man. That's why you do it to them. Football players don't want to do that. So they don't want to do. They don't want to be thrown Star Wars trivia and forced to participate in cahoots while you're trying to get them to learn the playbook. Well, they they also don't want to stay after practice, and that's exactly what Russell Wilson did with each of his tight end groups. This is high school level, you know, BS that Nathaniel Hackett is attempting to employ with a professional football team full of grown men. They are capable of, you know, solving their own issues. They are capable of learning the playbook without silly Kahoot trivia or Star Wars trivia. Do you like Kahoot, Roman? Yes, I like Kahoot. Exactly. But you should not be using that, you know, to attempt – to get players to learn an NFL playbook. And why not? <laughs> because hilarious. football players, grown masculine football players don't want to do that. That's not, not how you communicate are masculine, Roman. Oh, gosh. Brent, That's- go ahead. <laughs> Who's your most underwhelming? <laughs> can, I, can I just mention that I've never heard Jake say once anything about Russell Wilson's faith? So that was the funniest, like, I, I that is the funniest thing I think I might have ever heard because <laughs> – I have never – no. I know not on the podcast, but no. I don't think ever he has ever. So that is the hey, funniest thing. I like thing that I, you I, assume that. I like that you assume that about me. That's pretty cool. That or it's demeaning, but either one. Hey, I don't care. Brett, go ahead. <laughs> um, sorry, I've lost my train of thought completely. On The most underwhelming team is what we're talking about. Uh, you said the Broncos. So um, – and I didn't mean to say the Lions were going to be good, but I did, and I rolled with it. So I'm going to say they're going to bring it all together, and I'm going to just go ahead and say the Las Vegas Raiders. Because at the beginning of the year, all four of us had all four of these teams either making the playoffs or finishing as the eighth seed and just missing out. So right now, uh, Las Vegas looks pretty bad. Um, yeah. Obviously, they played – I mean, they played the week one. They really narrowly lost to the Chiefs, but it looks like – Devontae Adams could end up being out for a little bit, so that might be rough. But overall, I think they'll end up being okay. Just not like just kind of a shaky start to start one and four for anybody. Like I know that's gotta be kind of tearing down on the organization and it's obviously taking a toll on Devontae Adams. Um and clearly the team isn't very good at communication because Hunter Renfro ran directly he yep. ran the wrong route. At the end of the game, that was all his fault. Like the reason that Devontae Adams wasn't looking for him is because he wasn't supposed to be there. It was pretty clear that he was supposed to go the other way, and he deliberate like he ran into it. Like that was all Renfro's fault. So there's an issue with communication there. But as far as their 
like the hope for the future with them. I mean, they played the Texans next week, then the Saints, Jaguars, and Colts. So they could pretty easily be a 4-4 four and four team when they get back to the Broncos again. Um, of course, they'll lose to the Seahawks um, in a couple <laughs> weeks. But other, other than that, they, I mean, they, they, they've started out pretty disappointing. I thought they would we'd be looking at this and they'd at least be 3-2. and two. But uh, overall, they're probably the disappointing team to me. But I see a lot of bright side with them still. So, yeah. Yeah, Brent, I'm going to go with uh, the Raiders as well. Uh, the team that used to have the least masculine player in the NFL. Uh, but I'm also going to go them. <laughs> They're one in four right now, but every loss is to a decent team. Like you lost and by five by to the Chargers, six points. to the Cardinals, two to the Titans, and one to the Chiefs. And, you know, if, if Renfro runs the right route and he doesn't hit Adams, he's wide open for a touchdown. Like, he is in the clear for that, at least for a big gain anyways. Because um, we know how cars get those getting balls. Yeah, so we'll see what happens there if, uh, you know, Adams buys himself out or takes a week in jail. Who knows what's going to happen. If, uh, if Devontae Adams gets suspended for that, then the NFL is just soft. I'm sorry. Like, that was, like, all in, like, heat of the moment, frustration. It's not like he punched the guy or whatever. And he's already <laughs> apologized multiple times. <laughs> We know that Devontae Adams, we know that's not really the person that he is, okay? Like, yeah, he, he deserves to get fined, probably, like, disciplined internally. But yeah. to get suspended, I think that's a little much. Have you seen how nice he is in those Taco Bell commercials? Very nice. <laughs> he's pretty cool. He's a pretty cool dude. Yeah. But I'm and very, I, he's I'm a pretty nice broken. guy when the cameras are on. <laughs> I, I, di- I didn't get to talk, by the way, about the Broncos as a football team at all. I mean, <laughs> I mean their, their defense has been – their defense has been good. It's carried the team, but the offense as a whole has just been very dysfunctional. They've already lost Javante Williams for the season. Now they have Mr. Fumble, Melvin Gordon, carrying the ball for them on a week-to-week basis. That's good not great. Starting soon. Hey, Cortland Sutton, though, right? Yeah, Cor- Cortland Sutton's been good. Ted Patrick. Yeah. You're welcome. KJ Hamler is getting <laughs> open, but Russell Wilson doesn't Tim know Patrick. how to throw it to him. So he, instead, KJ Hamler will just slam his helmet onto the ground in frustration. Yeah, he's been After wide open a lot. That losing the worst Thursday night game we've ever seen in our lifetimes. <laughs> uh, it's whatever. But overall, I'm sad about the Raiders because I was really high on the AFC West. And to see them one and four is a little heartbreaking for me, but I think they will turn around. Um, let's go ahead and move on quickly. Roman, who is your AFC and NFC favorite thus far? Um, I think right now it has to be the Bills and the Eagles, respectively. I, I I know that the Bills have looked a little bit shaky at times, but when they're going, when they're playing the way they're supposed to, there's no one that can stop them. They are the most electric offense in the entire NFL. Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs is the best quarterback wide receiver connection that we've seen since Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown. And like the offense as a whole is just unstoppable. Gabe Davis is playing at another level right now. They don't run the football much, but when they, when they do, it's working. Devin Singletary has been very good so far. And the loss of Micah Hyde is a little bit of a concern for this defense, but they've done just fine so far. Still have been a top three defense in the NFL. The way that Leslie Frazier is able to disguise coverages and confuse quarterbacks on a week-to-week basis is just very impressive. And when you have guys like Jordan Poyer, Matt Milano, Von, Mil- Von Miller as your new top guy off the edge. I mean, you're going to be successful. And if Leslie Frazier isn't getting interviews or head coaching jobs this offseason, 
I don't know what the NFL is doing. So the Bills are obviously the favorite in the AFC. And the Eagles, I don't know if they're actually going to get to the Super Bowl. I'm still very high on teams like the 49ers at the end of the day. But right now, Philly does have to be considered the favorite. I mean, Jalen Hurts has proven me wrong completely. He has become a whole new player this year. He's actually a competent passer of the football. And he's using his legs more efficiently than ever before. I mean, Nick Sirianni has just done a phenomenal (laughs) job with this offense. A.J. Brown has been such a great addition for this team. He's been such a difference maker. Something that Jake doubted, by the way. Jake thinks. Uh, okay, let, let's sucks. not talk about doubting. All right, you did. You said yeah. that Hertz was not a top ten quarterback last week. Me and Jake. Me I and Jake both he's had a top ten quarterback, but he's de- he's better. Both had him than what I expected. And guess, oh and I'm gosh. admitting that I was wrong right now. You're not admitting <laughs> that Lamar? you were wrong. What about Lamar? Man, Lamar is just so inconsistent. I can't. <laughs> I can't. I can't even mark him right now. Honestly, he's got more touchdowns than 29 teams in the NFL right now. Okay, and like it's week it's week six. He'll finish with like eighteen touchdowns and ten picks by the end of the year because that's what he does. We'll <laughs> Obviously, see. that's that's a little bit low in terms of the touchdown number, but you get what I mean. We'll see. Brett, but AFC and NFC favorite. Who you got? Can I go with teams that Roman didn't say just for funsies? Go ahead. Why not? All right. All right, my NFC favorite right now, if it's not the Eagles, is definitely the Vikings. I know that the Vikings nice. lost to the Eagles pretty handily, but since then, and day one Vikings favorite. So since the start of the year, I've been high on them, and we Same. all know that. Same, baby. Um, so, so besides that loss, I really feel like they've kind of cleaned it up. Uh, that was one of Justin Jefferson's bad weeks, and rightfully so. He got locked up. But at the same time, I feel like they've finally figured out how to manage that well. First week one, Justin Jefferson got literally every single pass. And then week two and three, he got like nothing. So they week four and five, they've done a really good job of kind of figuring out his role, which is still an insane role. But he like they've kind of worked with that a little bit more and they're they're still winning games and they're still doing good. So the Vikings are probably my favorite, if not the Eagles, uh right now. And if not the Bills, I'm gonna say the Jets. Um oh, the Jets the Jets are underrated, and the Jets are here to stay. Um, I think that the Jets still will finish um, like ten and seven or nine and eight. But at the end of the day, they'll be second. Hand, they'll be second fiddle to the Bills all year because it looks like the Dolphins are going to be starting <laughs> rookie quarterbacks from Kansas State for the rest of the season. Because uh, if anybody gets touched in the pocket, then they have to put them in con- concussion protocol for two weeks at this point. So. It looks like New York could really steal a playoff spot. And uh, when it comes to the performance of all these other teams right now, as far as like teams that are going to be in the wild card that aren't competing for the win in their respective division, uh, I think the Jets are kind of competing. Now, they're going to have to put it all together to look like an actually good football team. But I think that they could go and beat the Packers, beat a dysfunctional Broncos team, and and the Patriots game is actually going to be really good. By the time they match up with the Bills, we might see two of the top five teams in the AFC. So we'll we'll see. But I'm going to go with the Jets just for funsies. You know I don't completely mean that, but, you know, that's the Brent way. So I'm going to keep keep riding high on the Jets. It's fun. Why not? Uh, I'm going to – I would say Bills and Eagles as well. Um, it's, it's hard not to because the Bills came in as the favorite and the Eagles are the only undefeated team. Um, but a team that I was not extremely high on was the Chiefs. They've played well. I think it's hard not to put them in that conversation right now. 
So I'm definitely going to save the Chiefs. But also from the NFC, I was really high on the Rams. And I think they've already lost. My prediction was that they would lose one more game. They would lose four. And they've already lost three. So uh, it's very hard for me to be high on them right now. I think the Buccaneers and the Vikings are the other teams you've got to look at. Vikings I had coming in 12-5. and five, So I, I kind of knew, like Brent, I wasn't as high on them. But I knew the Vikings would probably be the favorite in that division. So I could see that happening. Um, but overall, it's it's got to be the Bills and the Eagles. Bills have looked practically unstoppable other than that one loss. But then you've got to talk about the Eagles as well. As we've talked about, Jalen Hurts has been better than expected, and he's played well so far um, as well. So we've got Can, last thing in the NFL talk, unless you have something else. I was just, just going to wonder if we could talk about the fact how if Seattle beats uh, Arizona this week, then they could potentially be the number one team in the co- in the division by the week's end. <laughs> I just I just wanted I just wanted to point that out real quick and make it known to uh, make it known to you guys that Seattle's competing for the uh, the top spot in the NFC West still. So they already got blown out by San Francisco. <laughs> That's not Roman. That is... Best game you're looking forward to. What you got? I mean, this week in the NFL is just pretty exciting. Overall, of course, we have to start with the snooze fest between the Bears and the Commanders on Thursday night. But after that, you get some interesting matchups. You have Ravens-Giants, Jaguars and Colts are matching up again. The Patriots and the Browns is going to be an interesting one in the trenches. Bengals and Saints is interesting. Can the Steelers find a way? No, they, probably not. But it'll be interesting to see how they compete against the Bucks. 49ers and Falcons is an interesting one. Jets and Packers as well. But for me excluding Bills and Chiefs, because we're going to be talking about that a lot in the next few minutes. I want to talk about the Vikings and the Dolphins for a little bit, man. I think this is a really interesting matchup for the Vikings in particular, because they're getting the Dolphins at a really, really good time, you know, with it being likely that Miami ends up starting Skylar Thompson next week against the Vikings after he came in against the Jets, got absolutely destroyed. If the Vikings can pick up a victory against Miami, that'll take them up to five and one, get even more leverage on Green Bay. I still, uh, this is going to be kind of a hot take, but I still think the Packers by season's end will find a way to overtake the Vikings and win the NFC North. Wow. I, I just trust Green Bay to do that. But it's, it's still really important for the Vikings to get leverage on the Packers in the meantime. And a victory over the high flying Miami Dolphins will certainly you know, present them, you know, with that opportunity. We also have a slugfest on Monday Night Football between the Broncos and the Chargers. Why Denver is on this many national TV games, <laughs> we'll never know. Valid point. Chargers should win that one pretty easily if they play the way they're supposed to, especially considering that they could get Keenan Allen back this week. But, yes, I'm just looking forward to this NFL slate as a whole. It may be the best one we've gotten so far. Brent? Yeah. Um, since I kind of was planning on Roman to talk about the uh, the Bills Chiefs game, I was planning on still talking about the uh, the Broncos and Chargers because no matter what you say, these teams are still good no matter what. Um, and I'm still I'm really high on the Chargers. The Chargers were my favorite to win this comp to win this division when we started the season. So they're obviously still my favorites. But I think that the uh, the Broncos are going to start to figure it out. Um, and this week's going to be a big week for them. I don't know. Again, I agree with Roman. I do not get how three weeks in a row they're getting national spotlight games on a Monday or Thursday, not even Sunday night, like th- or like 
a London game. Like, th- like they've played two Thursdays and a Monday now the last three weeks. And I don't get how that happens because I was convinced that every team got a Monday and Thursday and that was it. But now the Broncos have two and the charge and one Monday night game already. So that's kind of weird to me. But I think that Justin Herbert's going to prove his dominance a little more this game. It's pretty – I mean, Josh Allen has the MVP race right now, but I think Justin Herbert is really just kind of sitting right now. Um, and I think that Josh Allen isn't going to hold this level of production throughout the entire year. And Justin Herbert is going to be there ready to take over right when that is done. So I think that he's in the perfect prime position right now. And I think getting someone like Keenan Allen back this week, potentially is going to be huge for the chargers um, leveling out that passing game, because you pretty much knew where the ball has been going to the past couple weeks, both Keenan Allen back and the fact that Mike Williams has been playing consistently good. I would, I would like to see who, who they go after knowing that the passing attack could be a lot more level, more level than it has been in the past couple of years. So that's what interests me. And if the Broncos can actually get back on track and I'm waiting to see when Boone is going to start over Melvin Gordon. So. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. Uh, for me, this has got to be Bill's chiefs. This is a game that when we were doing our divisional uh, predictions over the course of the off season, this was a game that I was highlighting because we all talked about how the Bills were probably going to be undefeated through these first couple games. I think I even went out on a limb and said they'd be three and three after week six. Um, that's obviously not going to be right, but I could very well see them being four and two. I think this could be a game that I, I assume that the Chiefs would win because it seems like every time Buffalo goes to Kansas City and goes into Arrowhead, that they do not come out on top. Um, so I think this game is going to be easily the best one of the week obviously the most hyped up um because the thursday monday games aren't that well but one y'all didn't mention was dallas and philly as well i think dallas and philly on sunday night is obviously a very big divisional game when you look at the nfc east but overall it's a rivalry i think it's going to be a really good game um when we did rivalry uh the top 10 rivalries this was one of my top ones um obviously in my opinion better than Steelers ravens um but either way it's going to be a really good game Um, but that's going to wrap up the sports talk for the day Roman, we had a fun day yesterday. I'm assuming that's a little bit um, a part of your week recap. Yeah, it is, but I don't know. I feel like you need to <laughs> talk about that a little bit. He it was a lot care. of fun. We're, we're, we have some projects in the works that, you know, we're definitely excited for all of you to check out in the coming weeks. But other than that, I don't have much. So I'm going to use up my time instead to – get into something that is maybe a little bit important because it's been brought to my attention that men and, men and hoodies, we have some competition. Apparently we have a little beef going on uh, with a little podcast over on AHS Tiger Life. Let me check this again. <laughs> it is called Colton's Corner. <laughs> First off, I, I just want to say this. Colton's Corner does not sound like the name of a podcast. It sounds like a preschool for country boys. <laughs> that's what that's what I think when I hear the name Colton's Corner. And it, it definitely sounds like a two because they're out here talking about like trucks and breaks with food and all that. Apparently I'm not needed for that. They <laughs> like Brandon Beverage flat out said, No, we don't need Roman. We don't need him. I can talk about trucks. I can talk about how how <laughs> stupidly big they are, how overpriced they are, how they are way too difficult to drive. I mean, I could talk about a lot of stuff when it comes to trucks. That's a whole 10, 15-minute rant right there, which means that's a whole episode of Colton's Corner. 
<laughs> yeah, you're you're pretty good at those rants, aren't you? Yeah. And 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 of course, like Julia Hardy has to come and she's not even associated with any of this, but she has to come in and call me basic for <laughs> dissing Valentine's Day. Wait, I don't I I don't know. I think the basic opinion honestly is to like Valentine's Day. But that's just me. But well, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I'm I just, sorry we were offended by Colton's corner. I'm not. I'm not offended. I just wanted to address it. Listen, because I think it, I, I think we don't, it's just a funny situation. Let's get one thing clear: we don't consider Colton's corner rivals around here. Uh, nobody competes with the Manatees, but we definitely it's a it's definitely a cute attempt to. Uh, yeah, yeah. To I, be, I'm putting to, any potential rivalry to bed right now. There, there is nothing. At the end of the day, the only reason that episode was funny was because, of course, yours truly, Men and Hoodies boys were there to represent. So we, yes, sir. we had to lighten it up a little bit. But uh, I guess this goes into my week recap. Um, uh, so I guess, are we recapping last week or are we recapping this week? Just uh, about whatever, honestly. Do this week, I guess. Because I have no idea what happened last week, man. I, I've got, I kind of, I feel like I might have midterm memory loss. I have a feeling because I don't remember anything that happened last week, but as far as this week goes, um, I'm currently in Indiana, uh, making my way through, um, college tours, college visits, stuff like that. So that's a lot of fun. Um, I'll be back in Tennessee for the start of school next week. And, uh, other than that, just kind of chilling back to my old stomping grounds of uh, eight-foot basketball goal in my grandparents' house, so I feel like the uh, greatest basketball player in the world yet again. Um, so that's a great feeling to have. Uh, and no, the goal does not go over eight feet, so it gives me the chance to feel like an absolute legend, and I take every single moment of that. Um, but, yeah. Is that the one without a rim? <laughs> um, no, it has a rim. Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember. I remember you were at your grandparents' house a couple years ago, and you felt like Steph Curry because you kept shooting, and apparently all of them would have gone in. So, yeah, that was uh, that uh, it was that goal, but we, they they've since got a new rim, so it is oh, it has yeah, been improved. Gotcha. Well, my week uh, was good. The highlight of it was no doubt yesterday, going over to McAllister's, uh, eating some grub, brought back Blake Beverage. So he'll make an appearance in the video. You'll see later, um, you fans out there. But Blake joined us for his birthday. We had a good meal, and then we went to Roman's house. Um, Roman is going to be a key factor in the video. Uh, so y'all are going to see him change into a new form. Um, not the progressive form of the world, but uh, a different form that has to do with Halloween. Um, so you'll see what <laughs> happens there. Um, I also went to Florida this past week, went to Orlando to go visit uh, Full Sail University. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. But overall, it's a really good media program. Um, so I'm definitely looking at it as one of the options. But it was fun to go down there with my dad for a couple of days. On the way back up, we uh, went to see my girlfriend's family in Destin. So that was fun to go see them for a little quick minute. Got some ice cream, played some pickleball. So that was fun. Um, but overall, man, it was, it was a good past week. But obviously, the highlight had to be yesterday. Two of the Men in Hoodies uh, crew hang, hung out together. So it was, it was a fun time. I topped full sale. Oh, I'm, 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 thank you. Wait, you what? I, I, I topped the full sale. I topped the Dan Patrick school. Yes, sir. Aww. Dan Patrick's pretty cool. He's a cool guy. 
Well, that's going to do it for us here on the Men and Hoodies podcast. I know I'm not the one that normally does it, but I'm going to do it now because Jake was just going to sit there and talk about Dan Patrick. So uh, if you want to, if you want to watch later podcast episodes, and I kind of feel like Dude Perfect right now, you can scroll down on Spotify, Apple, or Anchor, wherever you listen to our podcast and get that good information. Go back and see what records we had to see how we're keeping up with on the NFL standings and our college football standings. Uh, if you want to talk about merch, make sure to reach out to me, Jake or Roman, or fill out a survey that we might potentially have coming out soon. And uh, the Men and Hoodies website is up and running. We are still trying to figure out a couple of kinks on that. But the link will be in the description to this video, to this podcast if you would like to access that. If you have any suggestions on how to make our podcast better, please reach out to me, Jake or Roman, as we would love to uh, just encourage. Um, we encourage new ideas and new new things coming into our podcast. We're always here for um, new ideas. And if you would like to be a, uh, a special guest on the podcast, sorry, I'm completely winging this, then You're reach out great. to me and Jake or Roman as well, um, as we would love to get your input and see if you guys would be a good fit to come on for a week. Other than that, it has been a great episode 22, and we will see you next time. The water chose oh, me. I was going to say it. Ha <laughs> ha.